Well, good evening, everyone, and thank you for being with us for this week's 16 edition of the Coach McVeigh Show on 710 ESPN. The Los Angeles Rams can win the West by winning their final two regular season games at Seattle and then home to Arizona. But we start our conversation tonight with the loss to the Jets one week after the Rams did not trail the Pats, did not lead against New York, falling to 9-4 and four in the process. Before we bring in the head coach, Sean McVeigh, let's check in with DeMarco Farr. D. Farr, how you doing on this Monday? I'm hanging in, JB, uh, about as well as you, you know, uh, it is what it is. It's just one of those things. Uh, I guess I, uh, <laughs> we have to reevaluate what we thought were trap games um, and what hmm. that actually means in, in football terms. So I'm sure we'll get into that with the coach and everything else. All right, let's check in with Sean, who said afterwards that this loss will demoralize his team only as much as they allow it to 24 hours removed, Sean. Did the team look demoralized, sound demoralized when you met with them today? No, no, they didn't. I mean, disappointed. Uh, we know what we didn't get done collectively to to achieve the win. And, uh, you know, you give the Jets credit. But but for us, you know, you, you, you own it, you're accountable to it, and then you move forward in the right manner because you can't allow the Jets to beat us twice. And, you know, this is a big game for us coming up. But uh, definitely was disappointing. I feel very responsible for that. And uh, only way I can make up for it is by making sure that uh, we have a great week of preparation, put ourselves in a position to go try to attack our 10th win uh, in a huge, huge division game. Yeah, you, you got to keep marching forward. That's what the season's about. I mean, but I, I guess we, we spend the entire day talking about what the Rams didn't do. Should I give more credit to what the Jets did on game day? Is that a fair way of looking at what happened yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to give them credit to Marco, uh, but I think there was a lot of things that we didn't do that dug ourselves in too deep of a hole, no matter who you're playing. And you know, their record is what it was. And, uh, you know, they had played a lot of teams tight. And there's a lot of their games that could have gone either way. They were one possession games. But, you know, like I said after the game yesterday, I'm not going to make any excuses. Um, you know, we've just got to play better. i got to coach better. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's the focus and concentration moving forward. Sean, to what extent were the issues that came up yesterday familiar and recurring ones versus diagnosing some new problems that might need addressing? Yeah, that's a good question, JB. Uh, you know, some of them, anytime that you have some penalties and you put yourself behind the sticks, especially from an offensive perspective, um, you know, that that's not going to be conducive for uh, playing good ball, sustaining drives, being efficient on third downs. And that's what happened early on. We took some negatives in the run game. We took some sacks. Um, you know, we kind of had to settle in as far as how we were protecting. And then, uh, you know, then when, when we did that, you know, we we're kind of got to be able to uh, to separate. So it was kind of, uh, you know, everybody had their hand in it. And, um, you know, there were there was a lot of things that we've got to be able to address and move forward. Um, you know, I could go on and on about it, but we talk about it that each play is its own entity. Um, and uh, all of those mistakes and all the things that occurred yesterday are fixable, which is where there's, uh, you know, an optimistic approach. But but ultimately you have to go get it done and execute during the uh, course of the game. Well, I mean, we're going to get into the X's and O's, but just about the officiating and, you know, don't stick your, your foot in it. But was there, was there any noticeable change in technique from one week to the next? Like when we saw replays on some of those calls, we were scratching our head. Did you have the same sort of feeling? Yeah, I was surprised at some of them, JV. I mean, uh, DeMarco, I was. And, uh, you know, they were pretty timely penalties. You know, one of them would have given you a go-ahead touchdown. But, uh, you know, like I said, there was, there's a lot of plays that occur in a game. Um, I'm not going to make any sort of excuses, but you always do want to strive to get clarity on how things are being officiated. What are they looking at? What was the reason for why those calls were made? And, and then we can, uh, 
um, you know, communicate that to our players accordingly. Sean McVay is with us. The Coach McVay Show, Week 16 edition Rams and Seahawks in the Pacific Northwest upcoming, rehashing the home loss to the Jets most recently. And Coach, when I say playing to the level of their competition, which is something that I've heard from our audience quite a bit in the last day, what's your reaction to that expression generally and whether or not it applies to this 2020 team? Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, you, it's hard to argue that, uh, I don't know that, that, that I would put it that way. I, I just think we didn't play very good, efficient football and complimentary football. That's indicative of, of winning football for us and our formula. And so, um, however you look at that, there, there was a lot of things that, that we didn't do at a high level specific to the offense and, uh, and special teams. And then there were some things, you know, just with the expectations and the standards, you know, I thought our defense had two critical sudden change stops that, uh, you know, were a reflection of a blocked punt and a turn and an interception, um, you know, that we threw and they did a good job there. But anytime you really only give up 17 points, which is what they did, if you take away the two short fields with the field goals they kicked on those sudden changes, uh, that should be enough for us to be able to win the football game. No doubt. I mean, the pick is one thing. Uh, the one that got through, that was a hell of a catch. Um, Great defensive play. I, I guess it was the special teams breakdown. The, the block punt is the one that really kind of galls you there. I mean, that was a tough situation. I heard that every head coach starts with punt team in training camp, and people live by that. It's the most important play of the game. I mean, uh, what did you see on the block punt? Yeah, we just mistargeted it. Um, you know, they ended up getting free off of our uh, our right edge, and, um, you know, they've they had been a team that had been really aggressive in some of those situations. We anticipated that, and uh, we didn't we didn't execute the protection the way that we wanted to. And any time that you hear that sound, that's probably the worst sound, especially when your punt team's out there. And so um, that was a big play in the game. Definitely flipped the you know it was a huge play. Really, both those turnovers were big, um, and both of them are ones that we have to avoid. Coach Nick Scott was drafted to play in the uh, core special teams groups, and, and I know that personal protector role is normally his. Is that an instance where you missed him specifically, or was it something outside of that? Yeah, that specific instance wasn't uh, a reflection of the PP, but we really could have got two blocked, um, you know, that, uh, hmm. that, that we've got to, uh, you know, really be on the screws. Um, and so, you know, we, we look at it, get it cleaned up, and, and we got to be able to move forward. But that certainly is something that uh, – can occur, and, and you're exactly right with what you mentioned, DeMarco. You always start with your punt coverage, and uh, punt protection is the most uh, important part of that special teams, you know, really in all four of those phases. And if you're not doing that at a high level, usually it can cost you, and yesterday was one of those deals. No doubt. Um, you know, look, does it, does it sting any worse because it's a winless football team? You know, I, does, does it make a, a hoot of difference when you lose who you lose to, or does it, is the feeling just the same? Well, I mean, I think it depends on how much you let the outside in influences affect you. I mean, it counts the same, um, you know, for us, whether we had lost to the Jets or lost to the Patriots and, and then beat the other one, you know, when you're playing those AFC East teams still counts as an L, you know, one L in the in the column. And so um, it's I think it's something that when the expectations based on just the records and things like that, I think it can get blown out of proportion. But we try to stay inside out. We try to understand you know, what are the reasons that we didn't get it done and, and what are the processes that led to us not getting the results that we want and, and how did that accumulate over time? Because you know, I think the thing you want to be real careful about 
is acknowledging the fact that what a fine line it is. While you always want to try to win the football game, let's just say Cam Akers' 18-yard touchdown run that gets called back holds up. We go up 24-23 right there with you know about eight minutes left, and we end up holding and uh, end up getting the win. Well, there were still a lot of plays in that game that led to get to that point. Um, there's a lot of reasons that we didn't get it done as well. But, um, you know, you got to evaluate each play and try to play as well as you can in all three phases with each opportunity that you get. When we've done that, we've given ourselves a chance to show that we can be a pretty good football team. But uh, the consistency is something that we're striving and can't think of a better opportunity than to really say, let's uh, have our best games be our last two with the way that we're set up right now. Speaking of running back Cam Akers, who had that potential go-ahead touchdown called back, we learned today that it was a high ankle sprain that he was playing through in yesterday's affair against New York. Wow. A couple of things. One, what does it say about him as an individual to power through that and finish that game? And then secondly, would that end his regular season given the history of that ankle injury? Yeah, it says he's a war daddy, and uh, I think that's probably the most likely scenario. Um, you know, I mean, for a guy that was able to push through yesterday, you certainly don't want to, um, you know, make any bold statements quite yet. But but as, uh, you know, this was something that, you know, you just find out, you know, kind of a few hours ago, and you're really kind of processing it. And then if we need to make any roster decisions accordingly, we'll do that. But what a stud. You know, the guy is – he battled. He gave us a chance, and um, – you know, one, he is going to be a really good player for a long time, we feel. Wow, he did all that with a high ankle sprain. I mean, that's that's, yeah. that's tremendous. I mean, I get it. You don't want to come out, but uh, I'm sure you were watching him to make sure he was okay once you heard that he might be compromised. I was, and he sure looked okay in a lot of those runs. You know, I mean, he probably got about 40 yards of rushing called back. Um, and so uh, all of those, you know, were, were at – points you know that where those calls were made you know didn't really have anything to do with the outcome of the play but uh he sure looked good he gave us a chance and he's a tough competitor man going to seattle any other additions to the injury report or conversely anyone who has not been available lately who might be in the fold for the seahawks game yeah you know not right now don't expect any changes to that jb but uh like anything else we'll take it a day at a time we're in the early parts of the week and uh, we'll probably have a little bit more information on that front a little bit later on. Well, defense continues to play, man. Um, you know, it's it's going to be difficult for anybody that, that loses this late in the season, especially when you have the playoffs on the line. I mean, uh, how do you as a, a coach help your players separate that? Like you said, keep the outside in because all we've done all day, all I've done all day is ignore people when they talk about playoff scenarios but it's almost impossible to ignore for your, for your players. So what are you telling them about keeping the process to one game at a time and ignoring all the nonsense that's outside? Yeah. I mean, you know, in spite of a really disappointing day yesterday, the reality is this, you know, we do control our situation with regards to the division. And the only thing we can do is give ourselves a chance to get our 10th win, which means that we for ensure ourselves a playoff spot, uh, and then and then the following week, if you take care of business, you know, against a really, really difficult and, and great football team in the Seahawks, then you get a chance to play at home against Arizona for the division. That's really all. all right, not all bad news. On. Don't want it to. Yeah, don't want it to be all doom and gloom on this Monday evening. Among the bright spots, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey are pro bowlers. We'll talk with the head coach about that. We'll also revisit third and fourth down on offense at the end of the game. Um, and talk about some other great things that the Rams are doing in the community on this uh, Christmas week. Glad you're with us tonight. And we're just getting started on the Coach McVay Show, 710 ESPN.
All right, welcome back. Hope you're having a good Monday night. Thank you for spending part of it with us. DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long, and the head coach of your Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay. All right, let's go to that fourth quarter and the uh, finishing sequence, at least as it took over on offense. And, Sean, it began with a career-best 34-yard punt return by Simba Webster. And, man, the, the Jets punter saved that from being uh, a Rams lead there, didn't it, in hindsight? Yeah, he did. But, you know, it was a great return by Simba. Uh, gave us a chance, put us in great field position. And then, uh, you know, once you end up getting to the 37-yard line and, uh, you know, got about six minutes left, got a couple situations where we had uh, man coverage and some plays to attack that. And at the end of the day, they did a good job making stops and, and we didn't uh, execute there. That play that uh, the corner, number 31, made uh, on that first and 10 play, I believe, with on, on, um, on Reynolds was a hell of a tackle. If you break that tackle, that starts that entire sequence. That changes that entire dynamic of that drive. But you have to give them credit, like you said. You, you threw everything you could at them, and they just made plays. But there were some opportunities to make plays there, but just couldn't get the ball where it needed to go. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, we'll learn from it. Um, you know, there's always the, the, the first thing you always have to do as a coach too is look inward and say, okay, were there some better options? And certainly, there's always things that that you feel like you can do to put your guys in better spots. But in those instances right there, you know, I, I certainly want to make sure that I'm holding up my end of the bargain. And then when we do get those man coverage looks, we're saying, okay, where are some of the answers? What are the looks? And and how can we understand and own the situation and exactly how the uh, the snap plays out and, and make the uh, the right decisions for where we want the ball to go accordingly. And I'm going rogue. If that's blocking the back by Higby, then I don't know what football is. I'm just saying. That's yeah. just me. Go ahead, JB. I hear you. No, that's, that's all right. We all wanted to say it. Thank you for taking that My one God. for us, DeMarco. Um, coach, by third and four, had, had you ruled out, at least for the time being, attempting a potential 55-yarder if necessary, meaning this was going to be four-down territory? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that, but in the moment, I just felt like, you know what, we're playing for the win. We were down three at that point. I think Matt could, you know, that's definitely within his range. But, you know, the the things that we were getting in those windows, I felt good about, uh, you know, our ability to execute, especially based on how the second half had gone. And it didn't work out for us, but but in the moment, uh, you know, I, I do think we were playing for the win. And, and I did think that uh, – you know, especially with the amount of time left in the game, we'd, we'd get the ball back again, regardless of if we didn't convert. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, if you if the decision went the other way and you kick the long field goal and you tie it up and you go to overtime, there was nothing wrong with going to overtime with the Jets. Some yeah, people no, are trying was. to say, like, you didn't want to go to, to overtime with the Jets because it might be embarrassing. I said, that doesn't make sense. He's trying to win the football game. Yeah, no, that's definitely not the thought process in the least bit. Um, you know, we have respect for every team we play, regardless of their record, but we were playing for the win and um, just felt like that was the momentum we had. And, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, we, we didn't do enough right there to, to get it done. And uh, like I said, I'm not going to make any excuses about it. On third down specifically, it was a concept that looked a little bit like the play you actually hit to Daryl in week two at Philadelphia, at least to my eye. I think that was 28 yards uh, down the left sideline. Um, was that yeah. the, the primary intent of that play there on third down and four, this time to Cam Akers? Sorry about that, JB. My phone cut out for a second. I, I heard uh, the beginning parts of it. It was a very similar concept to, you said, the one we hit Daryl on against Philly. Right, and then was that kind of the primary intention with this particular play, except with Cam Akers running that route? Yeah, it was, but, you know, based on how the batter played it, you know, you're saying, all right, let's 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 work through some of our other options, um, you know, on the other side of the field. And, um, you know, 
had some guys, you know, Robert Woods had separated, but, uh, you know, it's easy to say in hindsight, but I thought, you know, they, uh, they, they kind of defended that in a look that, you know, you'd like to be able to progress. No doubt. Uh, and one more thing before we get started, man, rest in peace, Kevin Green. That just came across. That nah, just tears my heart out, man. Did you ever meet Kevin yeah. Green? I did not meet him, but I remember when I was uh, in Washington coaching against the Packers and he was the outside linebackers coach watching the juice and the enthusiasm at which he was warming up, you know, Clay Matthews and those guys. And he certainly uh, brought it and was a great player with great energy. And it seemed like he had a great presence and charisma about himself. Oh, man. Special, special dude. Uh, just it puts everything in perspective. 58 and gone. That's Wow, Hall of Famer. So anyway, back to the game. Uh, so building from this point, um, you're not going to have to change much except how you do it and getting better at the things you do because it's basically the same stuff that won you the game versus New England. It just didn't win for you this week. So not much needs to change. Just do it better. Yeah, and, and really, you know, it, that's consistent for, for all of our games. You know, we, we know the, the Seahawks. We know what a great challenge it's going to be. But, but in any game, you know, if you get a blocked punt, if you turn the ball over, you give your defense short fields, you're not converting on third downs, you lose the time of possession battle, you know, that that's just not – those aren't things that are conducive for winning football. And I just didn't think we played complimentary football at all, and I thought they did, and um, that's why we took the L yesterday. When you mentioned turnovers there, the Rams are the only contender really in the league with a, a negative margin on the season. It was even going in yesterday. Now it's just below even. And it was the reason uh, Rams won the first meeting with Seattle. And so would it be fair to say that, you know, when we do pick our heads up and this season is over, whenever it ends, hopefully in, in Tampa Bay, that that statistic as much as any other will determine the course the Rams take from here, Sean? Yeah, I, I think because, you know, you look at it over the course of history in this game, uh, other than points, there's no greater indicator of winning and losing. And um, that's just something that, you know, our defense has done a really nice job taking the ball away. And um, whether it be, you know, offensively or, you know, whether we've turned it over on special teams, we just um, just haven't haven't been good enough to consistently put ourselves in positions week in and week out. And I think that's why we're, uh, a, you know, when we're hitting on all cylinders, I think we're a really good football team. And then when we're not, we've taken some some losses that uh, we feel like we shouldn't have. You know, how do you uh, curb that side of the ball? I mean, you're taking it away on defense and giving it away on offense. So how do you curtail that? Is it more emphasis in practice? I'm sure you're doing it, but how do you stop that trend on offense from from turning the ball over? Yeah, I think you have to look at, you know, what are the things that lead to us turning the football over, making emphasis, and then uh, – you know, guys have to be able to, uh, you know, to, to execute and to be able to get it done. You know, I was uh, surprised at how much attention the, the fact that you called Adam Gase midweek got post game. He mentioned it in his uh, press conference. Uh, what prompted you to, to reach out to the opposing head coach and how rare or how common is it for you to check in with someone who you do know throughout the coaching ranks? Yeah, it's, it's not uncommon. I mean, you know, we, we were just, I mean, Adam and I keep in touch anyways and, wasn't like we're talking about, you know, the upcoming game. It was more just kind of checking in and how's everything going. And, uh, you know, Adam has always been good to me from the time that I got into, uh, you know, the head coaching role here. And I've always been appreciative of that. We've known each other. It's a small network of people. And so that was really all it was to it. You know, it wasn't anything X's and O's or anything like that. And so sure. I think, I think uh, probably blown out of proportion. I didn't even realize that. Well, players do it, right? I mean, if you, you got friends, you got guys you went to college with, you can – 
call them before the game, I'm still going to kick your butt. But exactly. You know, just saying, what's up? Nope. How's the family? Yeah. I mean, how does that stuff get out anyway? <laughs> you know? I guess he mentioned it. At, JB oh. said he mentioned it in his post game. Oh. What did he say, oh. JB? Yeah. He said that it must have been about 4.15 a.m. your time, and, and he saw the phone was ringing and that it was you, so that you must have been grinding early in your day. Is, it, is that a, wow. a fairly common thing for you to be up before the 5 a.m. hour? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm up early, but I'm in bed early, so, you know, it's <laughs> uh, it's all really about the time that you spend working. So, clearly, I uh, wasn't working uh, enough last week. <laughs> well, I mean, look, um, it's, 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 it's to, a loss. It, it, it Look, it's a loss, and – it happens, and it just happened to be from a, a winless football team. But, you know, uh, I, you try not to make too much of it. But, I mean, people like to make more of it than what it is. It's just one loss. And I think the worst part about it is what was on the line, not the team that you lost to. I think that's the one that, that's that's hard to swallow. You have an opportunity to punch your ticket to the playoffs, and, you know, it just didn't happen. But it's not about who. It's just, I guess, the situation on Sunday it's hard to swallow for Rams fans right now. Yeah, of course. And you know what? It'll be even harder if we allow it to fester. And so that's why I kind of try to just say, hey, let me make sure that uh, I'm doing my part with what I can control in this role uh, to try to do everything I can to you know, help put together a good plan, help have a great week of preparation, and then hopefully it'll show up with, uh, with our play on Sunday in a game that uh, you know, we still have everything out in front of us. Last week, Sean, we, we spoke about this being the most physical team you've coached, and I think with good reason coming off that win against New England. Did Week 15 betray that notion in any way? You know, I don't know that. I, I think, uh, you know, you could say there were some things that, that we weren't as physical, but, I, again, I, I think it goes back to the execution, the penalties, putting ourselves behind the sticks from an offensive uh, production standpoint. And, and those are things that, uh, you know, that really hurt you and you get you out of your, your mode of operation that, you know, is conducive for sustained success, especially, you know, establishing some drives and, and we didn't do that yesterday. And, and that was really a, a big part of the game. Yeah. I don't think you got, you know, out hit or anything. I mean, I, maybe mentally uh, they made a few more plays than you did, but I mean, you came storming back the game was almost out of reach. I mean, there is some sort of a moral victory there that you came back and had a sh- – I know it doesn't mean much, but still, you fought your way back in the football game. There's a lot of positives to go with these negatives too. Yeah, there, there's some positive takeaways in terms of what we did, but uh, but what, what I would say is, you know, there's really no moral victories when you don't end up getting it done. But what we've got to do is avoid the situations and circumstances that put us behind the eight ball to even have to come back from that. Quick question about <clears throat> uh, the Jets getting your linebackers in coverage, which seemed to be a point of emphasis. And we haven't seen too many miscommunications uh, mm. really from from that defense all season. But Kaiser and Young, I think, were targeted 10 times for, for nine receptions. Did you feel like they made the adjustment versus the running back, uh, Ty Johnson, you needed to after that opening drive? Yeah, I thought our guys adjusted. You know, and they had a couple good things that uh... – you know, that we had to get, uh, you know, addressed and fixed. And, and like anything else, you know, we always do that. But um, there's different reasons for why a couple of those things had some success, not exclusive to some of those matchups on those inside backers. But, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I thought our defense played well enough for us to win that game yesterday. No, ba- no doubt. I, I take away – I take back half the things I said about Sam Darnold. 
um, he was really athletic in the pocket. He he really hurt the defense with his legs, and I didn't think that was actually possible. So give him a lot of credit there. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought Troy Reader and uh, and 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 Young had a decent game, and once you made the adjustments, you got it corralled. But it seems like they had a little bit on your defense early, and they made they made plays. But that's been their mo. Uh, driving the football down the field on the first drive and getting points. I don't know why they do that so well, and some things they don't do well, but that opening drive is a pain, man, and they hit you on a few plays where you weren't. Yeah, no, they did a good job. They really did a good job with both their opening possessions on each half, and, um, you know, that was the two touchdown drives that they did have, and, um, you know, that those are things that, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a key point in the game, but, you know, you got to give them credit, but I also thought uh, – you know, defensively, like I said, you know, if you really look at it, you know, we gave up 23 points, but really only 17 of them from the defense because of the two short field sudden changes. And when you play like that, you know, that should be enough to play winning football if, uh, if you're producing at the level you expect offensively. In the second half of this Coach McVay show, the Rams go for the season sweep of the Seattle Seahawks. That's still to come in Week 16. Plus, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey are in the Pro Bowl. Who else from the Rams roster? might have warranted inclusion. We'll discuss in the back half of this week's show on 710 ESPN. All right, the NFL announced when uh, Pro Bowl fan voting opened back in November that this year's event would be conducted virtually via Madden NFL 21 because the in-person All-Star game canceled due to the pandemic, of course. Today, uh, we had the good news that Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey are recognized for their 2020 season to date as we bring Coach McVay back to the program. want to give you a chance to comment on those two individuals. I know you told us they should be first-team All-Pros last week on this show, so we'll, we'll let you get to, to Donald and Ramsey and then want to follow up with who else from your roster might have deserved uh, a little bit more attention. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, both those guys have been special, uh, you know, and they've they've earned their reputations around the league uh, amongst the best at, at what they do, and, um, you know, those guys have been, uh, you know, centerpieces of, of why we've been such a really good defense and arguably the best defense in the league. You know, you'd, you'd like to see guys like, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned earlier, DeMarco, I think Michael Brockers has had a great season. Leonard Floyd, John Johnson, you know, those guys have really stood out on defense for us. Obviously, Darius Williams has made a handful of big time picks at the right time. And, you know, I, I really think Rob Havenstein has, has played at a really high level at the right tackle position for us as well. You know, if Witt was healthy. You know, Hecker is mean, he obviously yeah. a guy that that played. You know, has he's always been at the upper echelon, and um, you know, love Johnny Hecker and, and what he brings to the team for so many reasons, uh, outside of even just his production as a punter and a, and a holder. Sometimes on defense, this four three 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 four thing kind of muddies the water. If Jason Pierre-Paul can make it as an outside linebacker, we know he's a defensive end. He rushes the passer. Then Brock can go in as a defensive end, but that's just the way it goes. But, I mean, look, do you take any – does it bother you if you don't have any pro bowlers? I mean, I'm sure you want your whole unit to show up there. I mean, but as a coach, uh, if you don't have pro bowlers, does that make you feel some type of way? What I would say is I always want to see our guys get recognized because of how much you care about them. And, you know, it does, uh, I think, you know, they'd, they'd be better equipped to answer it to Marco, but if it means something to them, it means something to me. Now, you know, I'm interested in winning football games and I know how valuable they are to, to our success. But, um, you know, I think sometimes it can become 
a little bit skewed, like you said, with, you know, the, the different, you know, schemes you run defensively specific to the defense. And then, you know, offensively, we've got so many guys, you know, you look at Robert Woods and Cooper cup and how valuable they are to what we do, but because, you know, they're kind of sharing their touches and we spread it around a little bit, but the things they do with the ball, without it as runners, you know, those are things that sometimes, you know, you can get lost in translation, you know, when you're voting for the pro bowl, but we sure value those guys a whole heck of a lot. DeMarco, I think I heard you start to make this point, and it's one that I certainly agree with. Had um, Andrew Whitworth not been injured in the yeah. first matchup with the Seahawks back in Week 10, I think he was on his way to be a, a surefire pro bowler again. Yeah, I think just, that's safe to say. Just how he was great. Now, it was good to see Whit on the sideline, too. You know, I, I'm surprised he's standing up, and, and there he is. He looks great. So, I mean, that's closer to the field, closer than I yeah. thought he'd be this early. No, it is. And he's uh, he's making good progress. He's he's attacking his rehab the right way. And hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to see when he's able to make his return. I was thinking this afternoon they may not uh, be included in Pro Bowl conversations quite yet. But if I had to pick an offensive and a defensive most improved, I kind of went with Seabass, who showed up again on defense yesterday for you, and then maybe Austin Corbett along your offensive mm. line. Am I thinking along the right lines there, Coach? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I definitely think, you know, David Edwards and Austin Blythe are, uh, you know, among guys that, that could be mentioned. And, um, you know, really, you know, we had some uncharacteristic things yesterday, but I thought our lines played pretty well uh, throughout the season. But, um, you know, Big Rob making a comeback, like I mentioned, you know, where he was playing through some injuries last year. I think he's played at a really high level. But if you talk about the most improved, I think, you know, Corbs has done a lot of good things. And I think uh, David Edwards as well. Corbs is a nasty guy, man. I like the he's way big. he plays. Yeah, he'll finish you. I like that. He finished yeah. too good on one of them. <laughs> Didn't finish too good? Was he? Or he no, I said he good. finished too good. So they thought it was a hold. Yeah, it, it looked nasty. I, God, come on, man. At the, at the point of attack, and the, the, the guy couldn't make the play. Anyway, I'm not going to go off on that. Uh, is it fair to say that Troy Hill has improved? Because he's been balling since he's been here. But, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, really, yeah, he's. I think he's just getting an opportunity. You know, he, like you said, DeMarco, he's played really well. I think he's showing his versatility. Uh, being able to play inside and outside is, is something that not a lot of guys can do, but he seamlessly makes that transition inside and out, and, I think uh, it's a reflection of his versatility, and guys are doing a great job coaching him. I think I heard you mention kind of the, the hiccup on the interior of the offensive line. Was this a rare Sunday where they didn't necessarily perform to their level of expectation? I think that's safe to say. You know, I think they know that. I think uh, they settled in as the game went on, but but early on, I think um, you know it was it was hard to get going, and you know there was a lot of reasons for it. But I think just with the expectations and the way that they played, there were some definitely some uncharacteristic things. Uh, that did occur early on that, that typically we've done a good job handling that, that we didn't do quite as good a job yesterday. Alignment things or just assignment issues, offensive line? Because we don't, we, say, I'm uh, not used to seeing guys just shoot through and make plays. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think it's more along the lines of execution. You know, it, it wasn't like we didn't have all those guys accounted for. You know, sometimes they just got an edge and, um, you know, it was it was more the technique, the fundamentals and the execution of of, uh, you know, handling the different things that they presented for us. Yeah. Just uh, just to clarify, I'm not surprised when I see Quentin Williams win. He's good. But when I see guys shoot through unblocked, that makes me go, what happened? Was yeah. it alignment? Did they stunt? Did you miss a guy? What happened in there? 
Yeah, on that one that you're talking about, I think the probably the two yard loss in the run game, you know, the, the nose looped and they brought the safety internally through the backside yeah. A gap on a gap play. And we, we didn't handle the movement the right way with, uh, you know, with uh, our interior line, like you mentioned. Before we get too far away from Michael Brockers, want to wish him a happy 30th birthday today. Hey. And then looking ahead to tomorrow. Tuesday is the uh, Los Angeles Rams annual community holiday blitz day of service. I mean, if you could see the list of things that everyone, players, coaches, staff are, are doing this Christmas week, it would blow you away. It would take up most of this half an hour. Uh, but, but Sean, my question off of this is, I, in my years with the organization, I have never seen a group as committed to impacting the community off the field. And given all that our society is dealing with right now, I think that's a really impressive and memorable part of the 2020 story in addition to what what happens on the field i wonder from your perspective if you've been able to observe a lot of those elements as well as you go through the day-to-day grind of of an in-season schedule yeah i have you know and i think molly higgins spearheads the approach you know with community relations does such a great job of of really providing guys with a lot of different options and opportunities to make a difference and to impact things that are close to their heart and uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, we've got guys that use their platform for all the right reasons and, and really, you know, brighten up people's day or help, you know, create, uh, you know, some some smiles and, and some of the tougher times that, that, that we're all going through, especially, you know, given the circumstances of really just our world and our country in general. But that's what's uh, that's what's right about our group is the willingness to give back, be selfless and and use the platform they have for something bigger than themselves. And, and I love that. I love when teams do that. When, when it's encouraged from the top down, it's, it makes it even better. Uh, the other thing is, I used to love going out in the community just like your guys, and it would always remind me of how blessed I am to be doing what I'm doing, to play a game for a living, you know what I mean? To go out and help people brighten their day, but it seems like I left more edified than what I gave. It's just it's a special thing when you get out in the community. It's more than just athletics when you're meeting people that are in need or just need uh, their day to be brightened up just a little bit. I think so. I think uh, I think what you put out comes back to you, and and I think guys do it with a, an open heart. And um, you know, the crazy thing is, unfortunately, you know, it's a little bit more restricted in what you can do in terms of getting out in the community because of all this craziness going on. But but guys are using their platform the right way to impact in a in a variety of ways. And then, of course, the other bit of uh, Monday perspective, DeMarco referenced it earlier, but we did find out today that a Hall of Famer edge rusher, Kevin Green, an all-pro with the Rams before he continued on with the Steelers, unfortunately passed at the age of 58. Seems like not very long ago we saw him with his gold jacket at the Coliseum here in Los Angeles. Uh, The Rams issued a statement this evening saying that Green defined what it means to be a Los Angeles Ram on and off the field, elevating everyone around him through his extraordinary leadership and commitment to serving others. We'll pause here and turn our attention to a Week 16 showdown with the Seattle Seahawks when we continue with the Coach McFay Show on 710 ESPN. Seahawks were 20-15 to winners at Washington, their 10th victory of the season with it a playoff spot. Now the rematch with the Rams. Los Angeles won that first meeting back in Week 10 by a 23-16 final. Time to finish up the Coach McFay Show. Sean McFay and DeMarco Farr, JB, along with you tonight on ESPN 710. Uh, Sean, what were your, your takeaways that you recall from a couple of weeks ago in that first meeting at SoFi Stadium with Seattle? Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought we started out pretty well offensively. We got some drives going. Uh, defense settled in. I thought, 
you know, like anything else, the, 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 you know, the, the plays of the game, you know, the two interceptions that Darius Williams had, I thought were instrumental in the outcome of the game. And, and then really, you know, we had some good balance. We were able to run it, able to throw it, um, able to come away with some points and touchdown on our second drive. And so, you know, I think just being able to start fast and finish strong is going to be the key to, you know, any good performance, but especially against an outfit that's as explosive as these guys are offensively. And, you know, really, you look at it, I think they played really well defensively each of the last handful of weeks. Um, you know, they had some things early on, but then, you know, being able to add Dunlop as a rusher, getting Jamal Adams where he's been consistently healthy, they're playing at a really high level, and uh, that's why it's going to be a great challenge. And they got some running backs back healthy that weren't available for the game last time as well. Yeah, when I look at these numbers, this looks more like Seahawk football, uh, what you expect out of them, 26 runs, to 27 passes and they ran it effectively like you said Chris Carson when he's in the lineup that's a different ball game a different offense he's just a tough runner and then Carlos Hyde also as the backup uh gonna be fun I mean it's thank goodness your defense is playing well but this will be a different Seattle squad than you faced the first time it will and you know they, they've got you can see they're kind of really fine in their identity um there's a little bit more run pass balance they're playing really good defense they're getting their takeaways and um you know, that's why uh, we've really got to be on the screws to go get our 10th win. But uh, we're looking forward to the challenge without a doubt. I want to ask you what it'll be like to go up there without the 12s, kind of in conjunction with the question whether it's Seattle or New Orleans, maybe Minneapolis. What's the short list of, of loudest road venues in the National Football League? <laughs> I think you just mentioned them, you know, especially since we've been here. Seattle and New Orleans, uh, you know, New Orleans for that NFC championship. I don't know that I've ever heard anything quite like that a couple years ago. Um, it's, it's a great venue, but, uh, but Seattle's always fun. I love, you know, I love the, the atmosphere. You know, I, I do miss that noise, you know, even though, you know, sometimes it makes it a little bit more challenging to operate in the absence of your, uh, communication, but, you know, defenses have to communicate too. So that's what people never really talk about, but it does give you an advantage with some of those elite pass rushes where you can really tee off on the snap count, uh, when you have to go silent, but, I, I will. Uh, I, I love the Seattle atmosphere with their fans, and you know that you, you always appreciate the places that have very smart, great football fans because they know when to cheer, and they know when to be quiet, and um, you know it's always a high caliber atmosphere, and, and that's something that I definitely miss just because of uh, you know the love I have for this game. We use telepathy on defense. We don't have to talk. We can just look at each other and know. But I think you yeah, like shutting maybe up, up crowds. Front. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I think you like shutting up crowds versus being loud on the road yeah i do miss kind of getting reamed every now and then you know yesterday uh, was one of those days i'm not sad that uh, i didn't have to hear it but uh it was um it's something that uh you know it sometimes it gets you excited yeah you know i know i like it i think the energy and the excitement that fans bring to a venue whether you're home or away is is what one of the many things that makes the nfl so special and this year has definitely been different that's for sure one of my other recollections of Week 10 was Jalen Ramsey against DK Metcalf, one of the dominant themes mm. of that win for the Rams. Any reason to think it'll be different this time around in the rematch? I think you pick and choose your spots. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, Jalen is such an outstanding player with great versatility, and uh, you don't want to be, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, he is one of those rare guys, and I know he has tremendous respect for DK and, and what he can do. And uh, when those two are going against one another, it's definitely a five-star matchup. And, and another matchup with Russell Wilson, again, which is always fun. Yeah, I mean, you like competing against the best, and he's he's a lot of fun to play against. A lot of fun sure to watch, is. right? He's a great competitor, great resilience. You talk about mental toughness, and 
uh, all the things that he epitomizes. He's a stud. You mentioned the acquisition of Carlos Dunlap uh, at the trade deadline. It seems that he's made a tremendous impact on their pass rush, their ability to puncture the pocket with just four. Did you sense that even in his early days with the Seahawks when you saw them at SoFi Stadium? I think, you know, he, he definitely is an impact player. Now, they've sent more than four forward a lot. You know, they're sending five and, and, and sometimes six guys forward, which is a little bit different than you're accustomed to. You know, Jamal Adams just broke the sack record for a DB a couple weeks back. So he's uh, – He's an outstanding blitzer that can definitely make an impact when he's close to the line of scrimmage. But I think both of those two players, you know, in alignment with you look at, you know, Bobby Wagner and the, and the respect we have for him. And I think Quandra Diggs is one of the more underrated safeties in this league. Uh, you know, you get you get Griffin back at the corner spot and, um, you know, they're, they're playing at a high level. And, and you know, K.J. Wright is, is somebody that has, uh, has been balling for a long time as well. So I think they've got some continuity. I think being able to have those two new pieces – you know, when they trade for for both, uh, you know, for Adams last offseason and then uh, Dunlop in the middle of the season uh, have made big impacts for him without a doubt. K.J. Wright and, and Bobby Wagner seem like linebackers from a different era, but they're still getting it done in this era. They're big as yeah. houses and can hit like trucks, but they do a great job in pass coverage as well. They're timeless. They're great players. <laughs> they're antiques. <laughs> like no, they're no, they're timeless. They're timeless. They they they, they don't they can play back then. They can play now. They're they're timeless. It's uh, they never go out of style. That's what I mean by that. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> uh, Jamal's uh, defensive back record: nine and a half sacks on the season. I got to Jared Goff back in Week Ten. Is he the type of talent where you have to see him and feel him to really adjust to it and improve against him as you face him a second time? Yeah, it was the first time I had coached against him, and I always, uh, you know, thought he showed up on the tape. But then there's certain guys that you feel when you're in person, and he's definitely one of those guys. You know, he arrives, he arrives violently. He's a great close quarters tackler. They send him forward. You know, he's really good in coverage. I mean, he is. Uh, I thought he was a good player from the film, and then I came away thinking he's an even better player than I had thought. And uh, you know, he's got a great play energy about himself too. That that you know really excites the rest of the guys playing with him. Are you talking about Jamal Adams? Yes. Yeah, I mean, just my goodness. I mean, how does every offense not point him out? And anytime he's anywhere close to the line of scrimmage, I would assume he's coming. You know yeah. what I mean? He, he, yeah. It's safe to. It's it's a good bet when he's got nine and a half. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, that's that's incredible. Um, I I don't know how you let him out of one team to to go to Seattle, but it is what it is. But I mean, when you play special guys like that, I mean, how does that change what you do on the offensive side? Like stuff that you would think, normally do, do you change because that guy is over there now? Well, I think you always have to account for him and understand what are some of the things that you want to do to try to minimize their impact. But, you know, you're, you're running away from him one side. You got K.J. Wright, and then you got Bobby Wagner in the middle. So, uh, you know, you got Dunlop on one of those sides. So this is why they're playing at a really high level defensively. And that's why, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, finishing up this radio show so we can figure out a good plan to get ready for these guys. <laughs> well, to that point, I mean, I, I, we can all look back and wish that certain things had gone a different way. But if, if we had just said, hey, you'd go into week 16 controlling your own postseason fate with a chance to go beat the Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals to, to clinch the West, that would have been a pretty appetizing proposition, I imagine, back in July or August or whenever we had talked about it. Yeah, you know, it's always a product of how you get there, but but this is where we are, and that's the scenario and situation that we have right in front of us. And uh, if, you, uh, if you're wired the right way as a competitor, you say, hey, let me get up, let me dust myself off from a disappointing outcome yesterday, 
but not flinch as we move forward with a chance to go attack some success. And, and that's exactly what we're going to do. No doubt. Relevant football in December is always welcome. Yes. Some teams have been talking about the draft for two months. This is not the end of the world. Uh, so it's time to go up to Seattle and get a victory. Like you say, get that 10th win and then uh, move forward from there. So, yeah, uh, good stuff, man. I mean, um, it's always tough. Uh, it's just a word of advice. Just block out the outside. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is what it is. Batting down the hatches. It's just you and the guys, man. Go up there and get your 10th win. No, no doubt about it. You, I don't have any problem really doing that other than when I've got to do these things. Well, we love you. Come on. I, I know. I love you guys, too. I love you guys, too. I really do. Well, if nothing else about this 2020 group, we know it's that uh, they've had the uh, the comeback for every setback, as you're fond no of doubt. saying. And we hope that the uh, 2020 Rams' longest winning streak of the season is still ahead of them. Go out and get it. Sean McVay, thank you for your patience, your time, your insight on this Monday evening. Merry Christmas. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas to you, too. Always, uh, you know, all jokes aside, you guys are always a joy to do this with. You demand. Right. Let's Thank get you, it. Thank you, Sean McVay. And uh, DeMarco Farr, we'll talk to you. We'll talk to Maurice Jones-Drew Thursday morning. That's going to be Christmas Eve. We'll bring you uh, Between the Horns on Rams social and digital platforms. And then right here on 710 ESPN Christmas Eve edition, previewing week 16 Rams All Access. For Sean, for DeMarco, I'm JB Long, wishing you all a very safe and enjoyable holiday season. Thanks for being with us for this week 16 edition of the Coach McVay Show on 710 ESPN.